Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And I know it's going to be exciting. We got some, um, might need a little bit of volume. Um, exciting discussion, Q&A, and I know some others will trickle in as we as we keep going. But it's uh, it's good to be here. And uh, do you want? And uh, sound like a drum. There we go. Well, anyways, good morning, Broadway. <laughs> Figured I'd throw that in there for y'all. Get this you is the up. Good Morning Broadway Sunday School class, and it's good to have Brother Lurita here. Why don't we give him a hand for uh, joining us this morning? And uh, we're excited about the discussion. But why don't we open with the word of prayer? And uh, just just ask the Lord to help us in this this Sunday school class this morning. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the great opportunity we have to have this important discussion. And uh, we're excited about it as Pentecostals. Thank you for the truth of your word. And uh, help us not just to believe these things with our head, but Lord, help us to practice these things. And uh, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In uh, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. Well, Tim, Brother Tim, it's good to have you this morning. Thank you. Glad to be here. And do you want us to address you? Jane, me and James are talking as doctor. No, or? you can just call me Brother Tim. Be fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we can go ahead and get started. Brother James, go ahead. All right, Brother Tim. Uh, so, were you raised in Pentecostalism or in a Pentecostal church, or is it something that uh, you came to know? That's a great question. So. I was, when I was born, my mom and dad were atheist, agnostic, uh, didn't have anything to do with God, didn't want anything to do with God. So I was raised in that environment as a young child, and then through the witness of a neighbor, God uh, brought salvation to my mother, and then uh, not long after that, my father got saved as well. And uh, they got saved uh, in a Pentecostal church, and so I, I was... Uh, in fact, I was born and raised in Ohio, so even though I live in Texas now, Ohio has my heart, and I am, I am Ohioan through and through. Go Bucks. Yeah, yeah. I immediately, I, it's over. I, we don't have to ask any more questions, do we? Ohio is all I needed to say. Uh, but yeah, so was born and raised in the uh, Cincinnati-Dayton area. And so I grew up in Brother Hurst's church, actually, which many of you are probably familiar with Clifford Hurst. Uh, so, but before we went, started going to church, um, my mom and dad, they weren't, they come from a, an atheistic, agnostic, uh, all of my family, extended family is not saved, and it uh, comes from that very, uh, very hard against God. And so, having been raised in it, I also have a lot of um, sympathy for those who kind of my story in a Almost. nutshell. I'll, before I ask the next question, I do want to say this. We'll have a uh, portion at the end um, where if anybody wants to come up and ask a question, we have a lot of questions to ask. But if there's a question that kind of gets triggered in your mind, you're like, oh, and they, we don't touch it. At about 10.20, we're going to move to a practical kind of questions portion. And if at that point you want to come forward to the mic and ask a question, you're more than welcome to, to do that. So that will be later on. So don't just, like, you know, come to the mic right now and, and uh, stand there for 30 minutes. <laughs> so 
you know, you mentioned Pentecostalism and that we know this is a great interest in your life. You've written a lot of books about that. Um, and so my understanding that your doctoral dissertation was even on tongues. Why, why was that? Is there, is there a re- particular reason for why you have such a great interest in Pentecostalism? Yeah. Yeah. So as the Lord led me uh, through my academic journey, I realized that there were, are a lot of resources for Pentecostals that are somewhat dated now. Um, so I don't know how familiar you might be with some of them, but like Stanley Horton um, many years ago wrote a, a great uh, book about speaking in tongues and those types of things, but that was back in the 50s or 60s. Um, and so there's really hasn't been any recent new stuff written about our distinctive uh, speaking in tongues, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, Spirit baptism. That's what makes us who we are as Pentecostals. Um, if we lose those, we really we cease to have a reason to exist, <laughs> frankly, because um, that's who we are. And so uh, and that's not just who we are in identity, but that's who we are as we read the Bible. And, and, and so it's, it's a really important deal. And so I, I, I really saw a need for that in our present day to uh, bring a fresh uh, uh, book to speaking in tongues that would help us to uh, stay where God has put us. So, yeah. So, like, going off of that, too, is, like, what is your vision, I guess, for Pentecostal churches mm-hmm. or the areas that you have been concerned about that mm-hmm. you're trying to address that we have lost that? Is mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, where your heart is? Yeah. So my observation has been that there is becoming a more of a norm in Pentecostalism that people have the doctrinal statement that says, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, we believe in speaking in tongues, we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. They have those doctrinal statements. But unfortunately, a lot of churches, they don't actually practice those things. And so there's a disconnect between belief and behavior. There's that disconnect. And so uh, really just a call back to the church to say, let's line back up our beliefs and behaviors because eventually those things will line up. You can't live forever with your beliefs and your behaviors disconnect. And what a lot of times I've seen happen is the, what happens is they change their beliefs to match back up with their behaviors instead of getting their behaviors to match back up with what they've already said they believe. And so, yeah, just a call back to the, to the Pentecostal church to, you know, this is obviously, uh, I think it's, it's trending towards this area where uh, we have a doctrinal statement, but we be- we're doing something different. We haven't fully, as Pentecostalism, we haven't fully got there yet, but the direction is heading that way. And so it's just a, just a call to the church to, um, to be aware of that shifting and that, that gradual uh, going away from that. So, yeah. Well, you've written a book uh, on speaking in tongues, but uh, if you were to narrow it down, just give a definition. What is speaking in tongues? Mm, That's a great question. So what is speaking in tongues? So I'll define it the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, defines it in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, I will pray with my mind, and I will pray with the Spirit also. He says, I will sing with my mind, and I will sing with the Spirit also. So in that small verse there, Paul defines what speaking in tongues is. It is praying or praising in another mode. Okay, So just as we 
all hear, uh, pray, and praise in a mode of your native tongue, whether that's English or uh, whatever language that is. That's a mode of praying and praising. Those who do it in Spanish or in um, Portuguese or whatever, they're doing it in a different mode uh, because those language is a it's a confiner. It's a constructive. You can only work within your language, right? <clears throat> and so what speaking in tongues is, is a praying and praising in a different mode, a mode in which the language doesn't matter, okay? Because it's, it's outside the bounds of language. So when you speak in tongues, you are praying or praising in a way that frees you from the limitations of language. So you can, um, you, have you ever, um, you ever prayed and maybe you're really tired and you're praying and you start praying and you think, what did I just pray? Ever done that before? Yeah. yeah? Uh, yeah and, and you're, you're saying words, that words are coming out of your mouth, but you're like, I'm not really sure what I'm saying. You know, your words, right? Uh, the language, the words that we use, sometimes they're very uh, frail, right? And whether you use really big, huge theological words in your prayer, like, oh, sovereign, omnipotent being, of, you know, or you just say, God, help me. The words that we use don't have power, but it's our spirit that's communicating with the spirit of God. And so in speaking in tongues, it allows us to sidestep the limitations of our language, and we can pray in the Spirit, uh, as Paul talks about in Romans, mysteries in the Spirit. When we speak in tongues, we don't know the words that we're saying, um, because the words, it's not about the words. The words don't have any magical power in them. And I think that's a, uh, an important, uh, maybe going a little bit long on this, sorry, but important part of speaking in tongues Sometimes we can think that we have to say certain words in tongues to make them spiritual. Um, just like, uh, it's like the kid who watches their parents or watches some person in the church pray a certain way. And so they think, well, I have to pray like them in order for it to be spiritual because they're spiritual. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, mimic their praying style, right? But that's, that prayer isn't about a style, right? It's about our spirit communicating with the Spirit of God. And whether you, like I said, whether you use big fancy words or you're just pouring out your heart and simple, plain language, it's really the spirit that matters. Um, man, I can keep going, but I'll keep hey, stop. Yeah, you have written a book on it, so <laughs> you have a lot of knowledge. Um, so the content of tongues, speaking in tongues, is either prayer or praise. What is tongues itself? Is it foreign languages? Is it a heavenly language? That's my first question. Then a second question that can, you can kind of get into is you mentioned praying in the Spirit, mm. and I know Jude talks about that in mm -hmm. other places in Scripture. Is that praying in tongues? Mm. Um, you know, Can you only pray in the Spirit when you're praying in tongues, mm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those. Or could someone just pray in their native language mm -hmm. and be in the spirit? Yeah, 
Okay, those remi- I'm going to answer the first one and remind me of the second one because uh, no, those are two really big questions. Uh, so the first one um, having to do with um, languages, yeah. So, so the speaking in tongues can operate uh, as a so speaking in tongues and the hearer hears it in. German, or hears it in um, Portuguese, or hears it in French, right? But the speaker not know that language. That happens in Acts chapter 2, all right? And technically, that's called xenolalia, and that's where the person who is speaking doesn't know that language, but the hearer um, hears it in their own tongue. And that still happens today, and still can happen, Um that happens in Acts chapter 2, and that's the only time in Scripture where that happens. Um, the pattern of speaking in tongues after that, for the rest of is it's an unknown language. Okay, So it can, it can function in both, is what I, what I want us to understand. It can fu- function in both. And there are, uh, there's actually a, a little book I could uh, show you that is, has all sorts of documented uh, facts of times where somebody spoke in tongues and they heard them in these various earthly languages, right? So it, it, God can make you to function in that way, but those are pretty rare. That's not the normative way that it works. The normative way that it works is it's spirit-to-spirit communication. So my spirit communicating through the Spirit of God, um, what what God would want to to uh, me to pray or to praise about. So it can happen in that way, um, but that is not the normative way. In fact, uh, early on in Pentecostalism, the, you know, these people were getting baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and they thought that they were getting missionary languages. And so they went to China, and they went to all around the world and thinking that they would know these languages— and they got there and found out, hmm, we don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> they found out, oh, we don't speak these languages, right? Uh, but they didn't lose their belief in speaking in tongues and its benefits and its uh, as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They just realized that, okay, yes, as Scripture tells us, tells us it can happen that way, but it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. So I hope that answers the question. Oh, oh, very, yeah, very yeah. good, very good. And then praying in the Spirit, does that... Ah, yes, very good. So... I want to start by thinking about prayer and giving it a biblical definition because not everything that is called prayer is actually really from a biblical perspective prayer. So technically, people would say, well, Muslims pray. But I would argue from a biblical perspective that they, they're not really doing prayer because they're talking to an idol. They're talking to something that is... Their, their, their spirit is not communicating with the Spirit of God. So they're going through physical motions that look like prayer, but they're not talking to a, to a, to a supreme being. Okay? And so um, with that understanding, anyone that has the Spirit of God within them, when they pray, they are praying with the Spirit's aid. Okay? The Spirit is moving them to pray. Uh, again, contrary to so like the 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 Muslim, they pray five times a day um, out of routine, out of religion, out of uh, ritual, 
uh, and they're, they're faithful in that, but they don't have any type of relationship with God. Whereas the person who is, uh, has the Spirit of God living within them, the Spirit moves them to pray. The Spirit uh, drives us to be a people that are a praying people. And so, yes, the Spirit motivates our praying in English and in tongues. It's the Spirit that motivates us and, and, um, and invigorates us, drives us to, to pray. Uh, and if you've been saved any period of time, you've felt that, you've experienced that. You're just going about your day, and the Spirit just pushes you to pray, nods you to pray. Um, and what tongues allows us to do as we pray in that mode is we're able to pray about things that we don't, that go beyond our knowledge, right? Um, praying in the Spirit. I don't, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know the situation, uh, but the Spirit is driving me to pray about something. So, so yeah. just to just to summarize, and then I'm, Brother James can ask a question. Praying in the Spirit is prayer that is guided, led, mm. you know, yes. by the Spirit, whether that be in my native tongue mm-hmm. or in speaking in tongues. And I think that is very helpful because some people might feel forced to, mm. well, I need to speak in tongues in order to pray in the Spirit. Mm. But you can be praying in the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit in English, but that's not to take away from tongues, right? Sure, but yeah. But it's just, you know, I think a helpful yeah. balance. They both should be guided by the Spirit, um, and, and our uh, life in the Spirit being that of one of prayer. So, yeah. A lot of folks today say tongues has ceased. Mm. And if you look back at church history, you know, it seems like there's a large portion where either tongues seem to cease mm-hmm. entirely, mm-hmm. or at least was very rare. So how do we as Pentecostals explain that seemingly diminishing uh, gift of speaking in tongues and other gifts of the Spirit? Sure, yeah, that's a great question, really important question. So in one of the chapters of my book, I talk about that uh, the historicity of um, spiritual gifts as a whole, and speaking in tongues is, is a specific part of that, but it's true that around the third century that the gifts of the Spirit stop operating in the church. And so the question is, why is that? And the reason for it, from a historical perspective, is that there was a shift within the church from it being communal, where as from Pentecostals, we're very comfortable and familiar with you know, uh, the gifts of the Spirit working through a variety of different people, right? But what happened in early church history was all that got drawn up into the papacy or to the leadership of the church. So it's not that gifts of the Spirit stopped being in operation, but they only became operating by the leaders of the church. So the leaders of the church were controlling how those gifts were being used. And so over time, over centuries, it got to where the people no longer operated in them at all, and only the papacy, only the, the, the pope and those in um, the leadership. And then through time, that became less and less even within the leaders of the church um, as it became more and more uh, controlled from Rome and those type of things. So the problem is not that spiritual gifts ceased. And even, even in that period, you see pockets where it is being used. So it's not that they ceased, but it's that the church took control of them and tried to control how spiritual gifts were used. Uh, and that was obviously a huge error that was made, that um, spiritual gifts aren't 
for us to control, right? They're, they're, they're for the Spirit to control how, how they work and how they move. So that's the short answer to that. No, that's, that's really good. And, you know, if you look at the historical evidence, I think it's better than what some people would yes, say. Yes, it's much better. But, you know, there is undeniably a diminishing, mm-hmm. especially the middle, middle Ages and stuff, but that doesn't mean that that was God's intention or will, as, sure. you're, as you're pointing out, just because they might have diminished it. Yeah, God's and, like, and one thing I want to add to that is, too, is one of the things that I argue is that, okay, even if it did cease completely, totally out of all of church history, it doesn't. But even if it did, what's our authority for them to actually take place? It's the Word of God, right? And so our authority isn't what happens in church history, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Our authority is the Word of God. And so because the Word of God says that they are to be operational within the church and, and gives no indication whatsoever that they should uh, stop at any point, uh, then we should continue to fully function within them regardless of what takes place in church history. Uh, so I think we want to obviously always go back to the Bible, right, and uh, the authority of Scripture. And so, yeah, the cessationists, those who are uh, saying tongue cease, they're actually— so it used to be 10, 20 years ago, they were really popular, and they were kind of winning the argument. They're, they're losing the argument now uh, very, very strongly. And so um, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that. Amen. Um, so kind of piggybacking off of that question— bringing it to modern times, why do you think that many contemporary Christian denominations reject mm. Um, Is there, you know, biblical theological arguments they use? Why do you think, it, why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the biblical support they use is frankly, very, Terrible. very, very weak. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, it's, it's taking scriptures out of context and trying to proof text them. But so they'll use first Corinthians 13 where it talks about tongue shall cease, uh, and those, but Paul's argument is not, um, okay, I'm going to say this and this will sound provocative, but I promise it's not. I believe that tongues will cease, right? There'll be a time when tongues will cease. It's just after the church age, right? So, um, so Paul is talking about a, uh, an end time period that is after the, the time for the church. But as long as the church is in existence, then gifts of, are designed for the church. And so um, they'll take that and say, well, see, they'll cease and say, well, did the church stop? No, the church is still in existence. Well, then they didn't cease. But there will be a time where we won't need to speak in tongues. In fact, speaking in tongues is this wonderful foretaste of a time period where we'll be able to worship God free from the limitations of language, where every tribe, kindred, people group is going to be worshiping God with no limitations of language at all. And so speaking in tongues is really a foretaste of that where we're going to be able to worship God in that. So there's going to be a time where we where tongues will cease, but but not in our time period. So your question, a lot of it, frankly, has to do with um, culture and their unwillingness to, to a, look at Scripture at face value, but they want to read their theology into Scripture uh, rather than getting their theology from Scripture. And then you have whole groups, denominations that, you know, spring up from this, 
And once you get the machine going of a denomination of a group like that, it's 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 hard to to say, sorry guys, we were wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So bless God, this is what we've always believed. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah so. <laughs> um, I don't know what I was going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. Paul poses a series of short uh, questions. He says, are all apostles, are all mm. prophets, all teachers, are all workers of miracles, or have gifts of healing? And then he says, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Mm-hmm. Now, so the implied answer to this would probably be no, mm-hmm. but what do you say is the answer? Yeah, yeah, Paul is rhetorically asking questions, and in the context there, it's all about spiritual gifts. And so understanding Paul is outlining and helping the Corinthians who are the Corinthian church is a messed up group. They've got a lot of issues. And one of the issues that they have is they think they're really spiritual, but they're not. Um, and so Paul is, is trying to help them set some frameworks, some boundaries for understanding how spiritual gifts work. And so in that context specifically, he's talking about spiritual gifts and helping them to understand that spiritual gifts, and one of them being tongues and interpretation, that in in the assembly, not everybody has these same gifts, but that doesn't mean that they're uh, less valuable or more valuable, but that we need all of them is the big idea that Paul is trying to function and help us to understand. And that is a completely aside from this idea of speaking in tongues as evidence of spirit baptism. So you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but maybe not operate in the gifts of tongues and interpretation. Okay, Maybe your gift is, is healing or whatever. Um, so those are two totally separate things um, that we should distinguish between. So when he's saying, do all speak with tongues, the applied answer is no. He's talking about being operated in the gift of tongues mm-hmm. in a corporate assembly with Correct. interpretation. Correct. Yeah. That leads us into some questions that some have asked about tongues and interpretation. Mm. So one question that a lot of people wonder, and I don't want this to be too controversial or anything, but it seems that at a lot of churches there will be an individual that is operating in tongues interpretation, but when the tongues part is given, it sounds eerily similar every single time. Mm. I don't mm-hmm. know if you yeah. experienced that. Mm-hmm. What What is your response to that? Yeah. So... I think it's helpful for us to have a framework of understanding what we're doing, again, when we're speaking in tongues. We're praying or praising. And that interpretation, um, you know, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So the person who interprets that, they're using, they're only using the words they know, right? The spirit of God is not giving them a totally new vocabulary that they didn't have prior to that event, right? They didn't all of a sudden learn um, hypostasis, right? If they didn't know that word before, they probably weren't using it in the interpretation, right? Um, So those that repeat maybe a similar theme, that's something that's coming from within them that is their heart of what they feel the Spirit is speaking to them. Now, I would also encourage that person to think about how that the Spirit might want to grow their, um, their ability to 
um, to speak for God. Because you know, as you're interpreting, that's that's not a um, it's not a light thing. Uh, unfortunately, if we're not careful as Pentecostals, as people that are comfortable with these things, comfortable with the gifts of the Spirit, they can become like, oh yeah, somebody gave a tongue, somebody gave interpret. Let's move on. All right. It's I, I've noticed it's this thing where okay, so we have we have a tongue and everybody's like, oh Lord, you know, minister and move, have your way, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. You know, this intense moment of prayer, and we get the interpretation. And everybody's like, Whew. glad that worked out. Glad that went well, and moving on, All right? And you're laughing because you feel that <laughs> when that takes place. And I think it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a misframework of what God, God is wanting to do something in our midst. And as people of the Spirit who are comfortable with God doing that, we don't want to become so comfortable to it that it becomes secondhand to us that, oh, you know, it's, yeah, we, you know, praise the Lord is awesome. But we, 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 we run through that as we, we miss maybe what God was wanting to do and maybe what God was wanting to speak, even with somebody that was speaking something that, oh, we've heard this before, you know, this, you know, uh, but maybe God wants to speak to you about it today, you know, and so just being receptive to that, even if we think we know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more that I could say and yeah. some stories I could use. Kind of we'll going uh, off that a little bit on Tug's interpretation, a question of, um, that could be an objection to Pentecostalism, where Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, talks about how if when all come together and we're all speaking in tongues and there comes into our midst an unbeliever, they're going to say what? You're crazy. You're mad. So what What do you, how do you uh, yeah. interpret that? Yeah, and the reason why Paul says they're going to think you're crazy is because there was no interpretation going yes. on where yes. it could not be understood. Yeah. So Paul is very clear that whenever there's a tongue in the church now now this is we want to distinguish between a private tongue that you're praying and praising to god in a corporate setting so we're praying and praising together in a corporate setting and i may be speaking in tongues but i'm doing it to my you know to to the spirit of god in my own you know i'm not i'm not blurting it out real loud where it's disrupting anybody or anything but you know that's one thing but a tongue that is meant to be interpreted for the whole body, um, unless it is interpreted, the person who is coming into your assembly, they're going to look at you and think, these people are just you know, speaking nonsense unless there is an interpretation. So Paul is very, very clear that interpretation within the spiritual gift is, is a requirement for tongues to function properly within the corporate setting. And so, um, so we want to be mindful of that, that uh, the person coming in, the whole point of this framework of these boundaries that Paul is setting in is he's wanting it to be so whether the unbeliever can come in and feel the presence of God and can be ministered to by the presence of God. These gifts are operating, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, all these different things for not just part of it is to build us up, to build the church up, but also why is it building us up? Is it building us up so that we just feel good? So that we can say, woo, we had a wonderful service? Or is it building us up so that we could be the spirit-empowered uh, missionaries, the spirit-empowered uh, you know, witness that God would call us to be? 
And so I think sometimes within that framework, we want to recognize spiritual gifts, they're designed to edify us, to build us up, not just to make us feel good, but to empower us for a lost and dying world. And so if a lost and dying world is coming up, coming into our assembly, and we're just building ourselves, building ourselves up, and not conscious of them, we're really missing the point of what spiritual gifts are for, ultimately. Moving to uh, the more personal experience, do you think Pentecostals uh, should speak in tongues like mm. on a daily basis mm. or regularly, and, and how necessary is it? Yeah, very good. Yeah, so as prayer and praise, um, should a Pentecostal pray daily? Yeah, they should, right? Hopefully the answer is yes, right? I believe you'd say yeah. They should, yeah. Um, and so... I, th- I believe that somebody who is spirit-filled, spirit-baptized, should pray in tongues daily. Um, not in a legalistic way, not in a way where, oh, if you don't pray in tongues today, then you know, you've know you messed up or something like that, right? Not, not in a legalistic way, but in a way of your spirit connecting with the Spirit of God. And um, there are one of the main roles for speaking in tongues— one of the benefits of it is to engage in spiritual warfare. So as you're engaging in spiritual warfare, um, you are, you know, speaking in tongues is a great aid in that. And so especially in seasons where you're going through tremendous struggles or battles, uh, I would encourage you, yeah, pray in tongues every day. And um, something culturally within Pentecostalism a lot of times that we feel like that we have to have some huge emotional high in order to speak in tongues. And that's just comes from a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what you're doing. You're praying and praising. And so if you know you don't need a big huge emotional high to pray, right? Um, it can be very quiet. It can be very um, it doesn't have to be uh, at a thousand decibels. It can be just praying in your spirit. And so the same with tongues. It doesn't have to be only um, in a church service where, you know, something really high is happening. It needs to be outside of that as well. I like your answer to that where, yeah, yeah you don't want to take away from tongues, but you don't want to turn it into a legalistic mm, thing where sure. you measure, well, you're not spiritual because you haven't spoken, you know. Sure. you got to find that balance. So it's, it is 1020, so if anybody does have a question, um, you guys can come to the microphone. In the meantime, we'll still be asking questions, so don't feel pressured into it. We've got plenty of questions. But if, if there's a question or something we haven't answered, you know, that you would like some insight on, feel free to come and we'll, uh, we'll address that. In the meantime, um, what practical advice would you give to somebody that has never had mm-hmm. experienced a Pentecostal blessing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. Two things I would tell the person who is seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, but hasn't received it. One is, I would encourage you to not look at the pursuit of seeking after this, that pursuit as a failure. So as you're seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you pray and you don't receive it, sometimes I've seen a lot of people have the posture of, well, I've failed. Well, I've failed. Well, I've failed, all right? And that's just a, not a helpful posture at all. And you really, I mean, 
what do you mean you failed? You're praying and you're growing in your walk with the Lord and you're seeking God. What do you mean? Maybe you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this process is not a failure in any way, shape, or form, right? If you have that mindset, when you get it, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the tendency will be, well, I've arrived. <laughs> I've got it, and so I'm good now. And, and that's not a good posture to have either, right? You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you know, you're continuing to seek after the Spirit of God. You're continuing to, uh, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So the person who's seeking but you haven't received, don't look at that pro- process as a bad thing, as a failure that you're working in that process. Uh, but dig into that and, and thank the Lord for how he's helping you in that process. That'd be the first thing. Second thing I would want you to think about is anytime that somebody has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, what are they doing? They're either praying or praising. What they're doing in that moment is they're praying and praising. And they go from praying and praising in English or their native tongue they go from that mode to a, a mode of praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Okay? And a lot of times people want to make that transition as something that's very, very difficult um, or something that is um, you're doing something totally different when you speak in tongues than what you were doing a few seconds ago when you were praying in English. And I want to say, no, you're just doing it in a different mode. Okay? And it has... There's different benefits to it. There's different things that it accomplishes, different things. There's all the things I could talk about there. But fundamentally, all you're doing is you're praying and praising in a different mode. And so uh, it doesn't have to be some... uh, Sometimes people worry about the words of tongues. And again, if you understand you're praying and praising, the words don't really matter. Okay, Um, Just as the words in English, the words don't have power. It's the one that we're praying to that has the power, right? And so the words of tongues don't bring some mystical power with them, but it's the Spirit of God that is functioning in that. And um, maybe this would be a good time to talk about false tongues as well. Some some people have asked, how do you know the difference between false and true? Yeah, yeah. So it might be a good point to to notice that. Okay, so again, so one of the... important parts of the gifts of the Spirit is that they're all in operation. And one of the gifts is the gift of discernment, <laughs> right? Um, because not e- tongues, so, so this, some people don't realize this, but actually, so Muslims speak in tongues, Mormons speak in tongues, um, several other cults speak in tongues. So um, just as a Muslim would pray in their native tongue, but their prayer has no spiritual value to it because they're praying to a dead, a non-existent being, right? Praying to a non-existent being, Allah. When they speak in tongues, it doesn't, they're still talking to a non-existent, their spirit is not connecting to anything that is, has spiritual life to it, okay? So you can speak in gibberish and you know you can speak in um you know tongues quote unquote and it have no spiritual value because you're just talking gibberish because it's not your spirit connecting with the spirit of god just as you can pray and in your no somebody can pray in english and it have no spiritual value jesus told the parable of the publican 
and the the religious man who is you know the religious man is on this is is praying real loud and is is exhorting himself and thank God I'm I'm so spiritual I'm paraphrasing but you know that's what he's saying and then the the the, the beggar poor man is just beating his chest renting his clothes and saying God have mercy upon me a sinner and Jesus said which which one went away justified right they were both praying. But one was a spiritual prayer, and one was a, a prayer of the flesh, a carnal prayer. And so, yeah, not every speaking in tongues is um, would be spiritual. And so that's why we need the gift of discernment um, and operation. And I do think them. some people, to go off that, some people, young people, worry that if I start speaking in tongues, it's not going to be real or not mm. be true. And I, but I don't think that's, if you agree with me, that's probably that's not a concern if you're really truly mm. praying sure you know from your heart in the spirit and then it, as you say changes modes to the speaking in tongues that's not a concern that you should have because your heart's already right with the lord right? sure yeah yeah if your spirit is is right in your right relationship with god that you know that's not a concern uh, that you should have now if you're just trying to put on a show and you know you're you're in the flesh then and you should be concerned about yes. that. <laughs> and there's other issues involved with that. Just like regular prayer. If you're, you sure. know, approach God in, in humility um, and, and you're just, you're not concerned with what's going on around you and you're just trying to connect with God, then it's going to be authentic. You may mm -hmm. not even know what you're, again, what you're praying for, um, how to pray. You might be searching, what, what am I, what am I going to say here? It doesn't really matter if you're just coming in humility yes. and, and, and like you gave the example of Jesus's parable. I mean, if you're just finding yourself beating your chest and just mm -hmm. saying, Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. Yeah. I'm struggling. You know, that's what it's all about when it comes to praying in the spirit. Yeah. Again, it's just that humility and connecting with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Is there anyone that had any questions as we're winding down? I here? can't handle this whole line. It's too many people. Sister Jackie, did you <laughs> want to come up to the microphone or you want to shout it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did just briefly talk on that, but we can do a few more seconds. Yeah, so God works within um, our human um, limitations and our human our humanness. And so um, as within the way that we pray, we all have our own unique style in the way that we pray in English or in our native tongue. We have our own way, own words that we use, own phrases that we use, different ways that we pray. Um, and there's not a right or wrong way to do that, right? You, Your own personality, your own prayer way that you do that. And the same is true with both the interpretation of tongues and just praying in tongues uh, as a mode of prayer and praise. That the way that I pray in tongues and praise in tongues is going to be different than the way that you do that just as the way that I pray in English is different than the way that you pray. But that doesn't mean it's any more or less spiritual just because it's different. Uh, the th thing that unites it and makes it spiritual is that it's connected to the Spirit of God. Right? That's the thing that makes it spiritual, not the words you use or the way you do it. And some people get hung up with this when, you know, so you have this tongues, and the tongues is like three minutes long. It's this long tongues. And then the interpretation is, Jesus said, go, <laughs> or something, you know, like, this is really, it's really short. And they're like, 
wait a minute, time out here. <laughs> there was way more words in the tongues than there was. In the, people get tripped over that. Um, but the whether it was the message was Jesus, I'm just making this up in the spot here. So Jesus said go, and it was just short. Or they say Jesus said go, and they use three minutes to say that exact same thing, right? Functionally, this message got received. Does that make sense? And one thought I have too, I've read before, is it's tongues and interpretation, not tongues and translation. Mm, very good. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Um, very good. Question, kind of a practical question. Some, somebody submitted asking kind of about your thoughts on maybe other branches of Christianity that do speak in tongues. Mm. Um, you know, there was in the 1970s part of like mm. a renewal movement with the Catholics speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what, what is your thoughts on, on just. Is that real? Yeah. You know, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the cessationists or those who say the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today, they're really losing the argument. And-